know, when we hear the term Passover, we associate the Passover festival to one of the Jewish festivals. And we think that I don't have anything to do with this because I think it's a Jewish festival. How many of you know that it's a Jewish festival? You know that? Yes? We know that it's a Jewish festival, one of the Jewish festivals. But this morning, we want to talk about Passover because we know Passover celebration is in the Bible. Can you say which book it is mentioned? One of the books. Exodus, Leviticus. There are a couple of other chronicles. There are a couple of other books even Passover, the term is mentioned even in the New Testament. So we know that Passover was a celebration in the book of Exodus. And we know that throughout the Old Testament, we have evidences that people observed this Passover even at the time of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we also know the ultimate Passover took place where? At the? Right, at the cross. The ultimate Passover lamb was sacrificed at the cross. So because of you know, so many reasons this morning, I believe this is very, very important. So there is a great tradition that is built already and we see that tradition built is getting fulfilled as Jesus, the Passover lamb, was crucified at the cross. So today we are going to understand what is Passover all about. Right? So before we really go into that, I want to talk a little bit about who are we in Christ? Can you say who are we? Can you ask who are we? Who are we in Christ? Let's find out what the word of God says. So Bible says in Christ both, that both means Jews and Gentiles. Can you say that Jews and Gentiles? So Jews and the Gentiles, they experience the common blessing today in Christ. Right? Now Bible says once we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, but now we are near Christ. So once we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, but now we are near Christ. That simply means we are equal. Bible also says once there was a middle wall of separation, once we were enemies, but now enmity is put to death. Bible also says once we were wild olive trees, but now in Christ we are grafted into the cultivated olive tree. And as we know, the wild olive trees represents the Gentiles. Are you with me this morning? Are you with me? Every one of you? You need to follow me very closely, otherwise you'll miss me. We need to be crafted, we are crafted into the wild olive tree. Sorry, we are into the cultivated olive tree. So we are Gentiles being the wild olive tree. And Bible says we are grafted into the, into the cultivated olive tree. Bible also says once there was Greek and Jews, but now there is no Greek nor Jew. Right? So in Christ is in all. That's what scripture says. So I want to quickly take you through those scriptures. Let's read from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 to 16 as we get that in the screen. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made by the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we as Gentiles, we were far off from God, but now we are brought to Christ by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, 
and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Romans chapter 11 verse 24. We are reading from Romans 11:24. Bible says, For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Colossians 3:11. Bible says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew circumcised, nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. You know, when Christ comes, when Christ did his perfect work at the cross, the partition has been removed. There is no more Jew, there is no more Gentile in Christ. All of us are? All of us are? Can I hear that a little more louder? All of us are? One, we are now called body of Christ. We are now called body of Christ, whether somebody is a Jew or somebody is a Greek, or somebody is a, some, someone is from Asia, or someone is from Africa, someone is in from, the, uh, in, from the Northern America, wherever we are from, in Christ we are one. That's what Bible teaches. And we are called the body of Christ. We are all members in the body of Christ. Now because of that, we share, listen to this, we share a rich heritage of the people of Israel because we are made one today. And all that God did to reveal himself through the fathers, the forefathers, and through the prophets, and through all the festivals in the Old Testament, and now become they all become our heritage in whom? In? Can I hear that? In whom? In Christ, I just want you to be with me this morning because I'm just preaching this, you know, because this is very, very important. So we are all made one in Christ. So we have the inheritance, we have the heritage of whatever the children of God did that in the wilderness and did that when they were living in the part of Egypt. You know, they all belong to us and all those blessings belong to us. Now, according to the Passover, when the nation of Israel were living in bondage in slavery, God delivered them from the bondage. And God brought deliverance to the nation of Israel from the hands of Pharaoh. You know, that was a foreshadow of the greater redemption of all the world, not only for the Jews, of all the world from the Egypt of sin through our Passover lamb, Jesus the Messiah. So he is our Passover lamb today. You know, before we go further, at this time, just I want to acknowledge the reference to my sermon today. You know, most of the following information is taken from the work of David Brickner, the executive director of Jews for Jesus. So let's get into the word of God this morning. Let's talk about the history of Passover, the historical institution of Passover, when that happened. Now you know the history by the time children of Israel, they were living in bondage and slavery in Egypt. And God promised that, you know, he is going to redeem the children of Israel from the bondage. And God raised whom? Moses, God raised Moses. And God asked Moses, you go to Pharaoh, and tell him, let my people go. Let my people go so that they may go and worship my God in the wilderness. And Pharaoh was not willing to listen to God. And God had to really convince whom? Convince Pharaoh. And it was really tough for Pharaoh to really accept that it is the call of God. It is the call of God in the life of Moses and even in his life too, to send the children of Israel. But Bible tells us that Jewish people were living in a section of Egypt. Any of you remember that place? Goshen, exactly, thank you. So children of Israel were living in a place called Goshen in the land of Egypt. And we know the story. There were how many plagues came upon the Egyptians? How many? Ten plagues came upon the Egyptians. And remember, if you carefully notice that, all the nine plagues, children of Israel were exempted. Children of Israel, they were exempted from all the nine plagues. 
that did not come upon the children of Israel. When there was darkness upon the land of Egypt, there was light in Goshen. When there were plague coming upon, when, when the, the cattle of the Egyptians, they were dying, but the cattle in Goshen were alive. Alive. Nine plagues were kind of automatically exempted from the children of Israel. But when the tenth plague came, that was the worst plague. The death of the firstborn. The death of the firstborn was the worst plague. Children of Israel were not automatically exempted. And they had to do something. God commanded them to take a lamb per household. Let's continue reading from Exodus chapter 12, verses 5 to 8 and 11 to 15. Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. Your lamb, God asked children of Israel to take a lamb for household. Listen to this. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep of or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on the night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. Remember these words, bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Verse 11. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist. Obviously they are standing with your hand, sorry, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste, because ready to go, anytime. You need to leave the place, right, in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beasts, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not come, uh, shall not be on you to destroy you. When I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14 says, so this day shall be to you a memorial. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generation. That was the command to observe Passover. Throughout the generation, you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your house. Houses, for whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. He's no more a Jew. Very strict commandment was given to the children of people how they should observe the Passover. So this was the historical institution of Passover. So thus the Passover was celebrated on the night of the 10th plague. Before the plague strike the land of Egypt. Now, when is the Jewish Passover this year? In 2018. And Jews here and everywhere, they still celebrate the Passover. The holiday of Peshach, or Passover, really falls on the Hebrew calendar dates of Nisan, the month of Nisan, 15 to 22. That's the time they observe the Passover. So what about in our timing? Peshach, or Passover, starts at the sundown on Friday, March 30th. And it continued for full seven days. And it ends on the Shabbat on April 7th, on Saturday, on 7th. Let's further, let's take it further. Celebration of the traditional Jewish Passover. You know, this is very interesting this morning. Celebration of the traditional, no, we are reading it, we are understanding it for a reason. You know, when I was just trying to understand, that was really blessing my soul. There is so much that we need to learn from the word of God. And we read that in verse 14, as we were reading from Exodus chapter 12, God commanded Israel to celebrate the festival or the feast of Passover throughout the generations as an everlasting ordinance. Now, Christian, Christian significance of this ancient Jewish festival called Passover is what we are trying to understand this morning. You know, do you all know that there's a group of Jews called Messianic Jews? Do you know that? 
No? So Messianic Jews are the Jewish people who believe Jesus Christ the same way we do today. Right? So there is another group of Jewish people, non-Messianic Jewish, or, or, or the ethnic Jews, they still do not believe Christ Jesus as the Messiah. They are still there in Jerusalem waiting, waiting, waiting for the Messiah to come. There are hundreds and thousands of Jews still waiting for the Messiah to come. But there is around 350,000 Jews, majority of them in the United States and all over the world, they believe Jesus Christ as a Messiah. They believe the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They believe in speaking tongues. They believe in the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are just like us. They worship God the same way we do worship. They are called the Messianic Jews. Now in the Jewish history, there were various traditions that got added to the first Passover that happened in the land of Egypt because it was celebrated every year. By the time Jesus and his disciples, they were ready to celebrate the Passover. Do you remember Jesus was celebrating the Passover? Passover, most of the item that we see in today in the Passover table, you have a slide there? So in the Passover dinner table, they were probably already incorporated into the tradition. Now, there is a tremendous amount of preparation that is involved in the Jewish Passover. If you remember, Jesus was telling the disciples, we read that in Luke 22 verse 8, he was telling them, go and prepare the Passover. Go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat together. So traditionally, there was a tremendous amount of preparation that is involved. As God commanded on the first day, you shall remove leaven from your house. We read that in Exodus chapter 12 verse 15. What is leaven? Anything that raises because of yeast. Any bread that contains yeast. Any flour that you prepare that contains yeast, that is what is leaven. So God commanded in Exodus 12, 15, on the first day, you shall remove leaven from your house. That means we need to clean the house before the Passover starts. The house has to be cleaned without any leaven. So that simply means we should not have yeast in our house, in any form. There should not be yeast in our house. So during this Jewish traditional festivals of Passover, the mom, who are the moms here? Yes, yes. You need to be proud to say, I'm a mom. <laughs> God bless you. Okay, so the moms, they really prepare the Passover. They really do the cleaning, in fact. And always, is it the same thing now? No, it got changed, right? Mom, no more do the cleaning. Do they do that? They may ask, what is that? What are you talking about? So the mom, they were doing the cleaning of the Passover. They need to clean the kitchen because they need to make sure that there is no yeast. Clean the kitchen, clean the counter. Clean the shelves, clean the ceiling, everywhere. And mother does the cleaning, but only the man can certify. I wish we follow the same thing today. Only the man of the house, man the, of the house can come and check and he can certify whether it is cleansed or not. There is a process to this that's very interesting. That's called searching of Laban. Can you say that with me? Searching of Laban. So the men of the house is going to search for Laban now. It's very interesting. Right? That's how this is going to work. On the night before Passover, the men of the house comes for searching. Because the mom has already cleansed. And you know what? Listen to this. The mom will keep a small piece of bread or Laban somewhere hidden. Just to make sure that the man finds it. I mean, it's true even today. And the man comes here with a couple of things, a couple of objects. He comes with a feather, he comes with a wooden spoon, and he comes with a napkin. And he searches everywhere. Everywhere he searches. And eventually he is going to find the small piece of leaven which is hidden. And with the feather, he needs to scrape that foot particle and put that in the wooden spoon and drop that into the napkin cover it up and take that napkin to the local synagogue and there will be bonfire and throw that into the bonfire. Thus by doing that he declares the house is clean, cleansed of Laban. There is a spiritual significance to it. First Corinthians chapter 5 verses 6 and 8. Listen to this. 
Bible says, Paul says, in fact, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old and leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, listen to this, nor with the leaven of malice, nor with the leaven of wickedness, but with the true unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You know, today the leavens mean so many things to us. The leaven really means all our wicked behavior, all our evil nature. And Paul is saying that do not keep those leavens in your life. If you keep that, it is also going to spoil your good characters. Let's move further. Now, men did that. Let's talk about lighting of the candle for the dinner table. Are we ready for the dinner? Yes? No? You are skipping lunch today, okay? You are ready for the dinner now. So lighting of the candles, festival candles. candles. Now women, basically the mom of the household, they are going to light the candles. Now during, when she lights the hand candle, she's going to take a special book called Haggadah. Can you say that with me? Haggadah. And he, she's going to take that book and she's going to read a scripture portion. And she's going to say a special prayer as she lights the candle. There's a reason why women does that. Why that is not given to men. As the woman lights the candle, it's going to bring light into the ceremonial table. In the same way, not through a man, but through a woman, with the will of God, by the will of God, the light of the world came into this world. Isaiah says in 7, Isaiah 7, chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Luke 2, 32, Bible says, A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So there is a reason why women are lighting the candle. Now, when the light comes on the dinner table, the ceremony officially begins. Now, Passover is celebrated mostly at home, not at the church, not at the synagogue. Passover dinner table is set with chairs around the table, and at times even guests are invited for the Passover, for the Jewish Passover. Now, if you notice, if you look closely, look at the chair that are kept around, listen to this, around the Passover dinner table, dinner table, there are pillows in the chairs around the dinner table. And one, may can, one can ask, why we have pillows in the, in, the, in, the, in the chairs of the dinner table? Next slide. In the dinner, dinner table. Now, if you go and ask one Jewish rabbi, do you know any Jewish rabbi? Any of you? If you go and ask a Jewish rabbi, you know, why there is a pillar? Why there is a pillar, and this is what he's going to say, sorry, why there is a pillow in the, in the chair? You know, this is what he's going to say. In the original Passover, can you hear that? In the original Passover, you remember when we read from Exodus chapter, listen to this, chapter 12, people were standing and their waist girded and their foot, they had sandals and they had a staff, a rod in their hands. They were taking the, observing the Passover in the standing position. Now, Bible says, once we were slaves, now we are free. In the olden days, in the ancient days, when the master is eating a meal, the slave has to stand. The slave cannot sit and eat. But now there is a pillow, and people are sitting on the pillow. That simply means you are no more a slave, you are free. You are allowed to sit. Now what happens? Now what happens to the father of the house? Father of every Jewish house, they take the role of a priest. And they also take the role of a king, as you see that in the picture. Every family, the father is really specially appointed to lead the children into the worship during the time of Passover celebration. And he wears a special garment called kirill. Can you say kirill? And that's the garment. It's like a priestly garment. That's what he wears. Every man in the household. And he also have a, has a crown called mitre. Can you say mitre? 
And the mitre symbolizes that he, it's, it's a king, right? So the king has a crown and the priest has a garment. So every household, the man is considered as a priest as well as a king. Priest of the family and the king of his castle. Now only the father, you know, does this ceremony. And the women and the children and all the guests, they all sit around the dinner table and they are just ready to observe the Passover there. Now, you know, father has a responsibility, mother has a responsibility, not only them, even the children, they have a responsibility. Children are encouraged to ask four questions to the father as everybody is sit seated there. So they, they, that's called manikshtana. So they are encouraged to ask four questions. They will ask questions. Dad, why this night is so special? Lord, what are we doing here? And the father takes this opportunity to explain the original, the historical Passover that happened in the land of Egypt. And he will also tell why that is important, why this night is important, why we need to celebrate. And in the New Testament, the father will also tell about the ultimate sacrifice, the lamb, the Passover lamb that was sacrificed at the cross. So it was a very good family time and friends are invited where in the New Testament, in the Jewish house, gospel is preached during the Passover time. Not only there are four questions, there are four cups. Four cups of this ceremony. Can you say four cups? Now each cup has given a special name. And each cup symbolically represents some, something. First cup is called Kiddush. Can you say Kiddush? Kiddush means sanctification. So with this cup, the father will sanctify, or the household, they will sanctify all the events that are about to happen now. And they will make a traditional Hebrew prayer over the cup. And they will take the cup, the first cup, Kiddush, and then this is what they will say. Blessed are thou, our Lord God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Blessed are thou, our Lord God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Now even Jesus said this prayer. Can I read that for you? Luke chapter 22, verse 15 to 18. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourself. Verse 18, for I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the wine until the kingdom of God comes. Even Jesus blessed the cup on that night because whatever is going to follow from that night all the suffering that he was about to go through they need to be sanctified so this is the cup of sanctification Jesus <coughs> excuse me Jesus was holding this cup of sanctification and he was sanctifying all the events <coughs> everything in the Passover is blessed now because they take the cup of sanctification and they drink from it let's talk about the Passover meal now the Passover meal is called Seder can you say that with me Seder. Seder means order. Seder means discipline, order. Now the Passover Seder is a special feast observed at the beginning of Passover. The Seder feast is held really on the first two days of the Passover. But you know, history says in, 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 in Israel they do that only for the first night. So basically, they are going to do this this year, the night of March 30th and the night of March 31st. Mostly, I guess it's done once maybe. It's too tough really to you know, make all the arrangements. Now this is what you see, a cedar plate. So cedar plate has six compartments in it and the cedar plate is filled and you know, this is how it looks like. We are going to talk about that a little bit, very interesting. And item one, what you see there, item one is called carpus. Next slide, please. Carpus. Can you say carpus? Carpus. That simply means in English, green leaves. Now, there are green leaves kept in the cedar plate. So that's what is known as carpus. Just follow with me. And now, the household, the man of the household, he rises and he takes the carpus and he dips the green leaves into the salt water. In another vessel, there's salt water kept over there. Salt water symbolizes the tears. Children of Israel were living in bondage and they were shedding tears because of the slavery. And because they were living in slavery, they were shedding tears. So symbolically, their tears are kept there and 
the carpus is dipped into the salt water and now the carpus is taken out of the salt water that symbolically means God redeemed children of Israel can you say that with me God redeemed the children of Israel and now carpus is eaten it may be parsley most of the time it's eaten that's the presence now we are partakers of life the greens also represents life we are partakers of the life the second item we see in the set of tables is called mirror can you say mirror say that again mirror next slide mirror is nothing but harsh horseradish horseradish is it's very bitter actually it's very bitter herb so this bitter herb symbolizes the sufferings that children of Israel went through when they were under bondage so it is really a bitter herb if you remember Exodus 12 when we read that we talked about the bitter herb there right now they take the unleavened bread take a little bit of next slide unleavened bread and what they do they dip it in mirror mirror is very bitter and they dip it in mirror and then they eat okay so that's the second step now when they do that this mirror is very powerful it's going to sensitize their uh, their sinus duct and they are going to cry tears are going to come out from their eyes as they eat mirror so that tears reminds us the tear the children of Israel went through in Egypt when they were living under bondage now remember Jesus was celebrating this Passover let's go back to go to the New Testament now chapter uh, Matthew chapter 26 verse 21 listen to this what Jesus is doing there now as they were eating he said surely I say to you one of you will betray me and they were exceedingly sorrowful and each one of them began to say Lord is it I Lord is it I and Jesus answered and said he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me they were really dipping it to take the mirror and eat. Third item in the set of table, set of plate, is called harose. Can you say harose? Harose. That means it's a very tasty mixture of apple, honey, nuts, and cinnamon. You know, they are all kind of mixed, and it's a very sweet, tasty mixer. So this really represents the mortar, you know, mortar is a paste or kind of cement they used when they were, you know, working with the bricks. Do you remember children of Israel? They were working with the bricks and it symbolizes the mortar they were using in Egypt to build their houses, build the houses, to work under the, you know, under Pharaoh. So we have a mixture, but you know, you, ask, you may ask why it is sweet. If it is representing the sufferings, you know, why this is sweet? The reason why this is sweet it's simply because even in times of bitterness there is hope for the redemption even in times of difficulties there is hope for blessings of God even in times of sufferings there is hope because our Redeemer lives you know that's the reason the Harose is kept very sweet and that's what it teaches even in times of bitterness even in bitter experiences that we have in this in this earth the sweetness can be experienced because Jesus is our redemption amen amen and number four item number four item what we see that in the real bitter root there the real bitter root it's also known as Hazere can you say that Hazere Hazere so this sits under the center uh, table center plate that basically it reminds us the very root of life can be bitter at times for the children of Israel, if you take that you know, generation after generation, they were living in bondage. When a child is born in a Jewish family, when they were living in bondage, immediately the child is thrown into slavery. The very root of life can be bitter at times. Can be bitter at times. That's what this root represents. The fifth item is a boiled egg, a boiled brown egg. And this is known as Hagiga. Can you say that with me? Hagiga. That's a boiled, hard-boiled egg. Now, Hagiga was also a name that is given to the sacrifice 
the animal sacrifice in the olden days. Now this egg is peeled and the egg is cut into slices and we have the salt water. The egg is dipped into the salt water and eaten. What does it really represent? You remember the temple sacrifices every time Passover comes? They wanted to sacrifice in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament they were bringing sacrifice, they were sacrificing lambs in the tabernacle and in the temple of God. But think about New Testament. After the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus observed the Passover. And after that, what happened? What happened to those temples? Titus and all the Roman emperors, they came and completely destroyed the temples. There is no more temple. So sacrificing animal can be done only at the temple. So they are not able to sacrifice the Passover lamb anymore. So from that time onwards, the, the past, during the Passover, they don't sacrifice lambs anymore. So they keep an egg to represent the absence of meat there. Absence of meat. Look, let's go to the number sixth item. Number sixth item is known as Zeroa. Can you say that with me? Zeroa. The Zeroa is nothing but a shank bone of a lamb. Just a bone of a lamb is kept in that plate. That lamb also tells us the lamb which was sacrificed in Exodus 12 that brought redemption and that lamb is sadly absent in this table. Only the bone is kept because that sacrifice cannot be continued. It also reminds us there was another Paschal lamb who was crucified, who was sacrificed at the cross. It also remembers that. And remember the sacrifice that was made at the cross. And the bone of the sacrifice not, was not broken according to the prophecy which was already spoken. So in order to represent, they also keep a shank bone in the cedar plate. Now the man of the household, he takes the second cup. The second cup. First cup was what? Kaddish. It is for sanctification. I know it's a little tough. Just bear with me. And the second cup is known as what? The cup of plagues. So they don't really directly drink from this cup, but rather the man dips his finger and there's a plate kept in front of him. Next slide. So the plate, plate kept in front of him and the man dips his finger and he will pronounce each curse. Can you do that? Can you pronounce those plates? Number one, blood. He takes, puts the finger in the wine and takes a drop and put it in the plate. Number two, frog. Number three, lies. Flies, livestock, boils, hail, locust, darkness, and death of the firstborn. So there are 10 dots you see there on the plate. They represent the 10 plagues that came upon. So this is called the cup of plagues. Right? Now you remember the 10th plague was the worst plague. The death of the firstborn. And God told them to take the blood of the sacrifice, you remember what God told in Exodus? You take the blood of the sacrifice, take that in the basin, and you go to the doorpost and put that in the lintel and in the side post. If you keep doing this, what do you see there? What do you see there? Cross. Symbolically, you put that blood in the lintel and in the side post. And in the, at the cross, we know our Savior was crucified. Let's move further a little more into the celebration now. Right? You ready? Now there is unleavened bread which is kept over there. So the unleavened bread is also known as matzah. Can you say that matzah? So there's a bag in which the matzah is kept that is called tosh. Tosh means bag. And matzah is unleavened bread. So that is called matzah tosh. Can you say that matzah tosh? So matzah tosh is the bag in which unleavened bread is kept. So there are three compartments. Well, in the matzah tosh. So three compartments. There are three, you know, sheets of wafers, wafers kept. Unleavened bread kept in those, in those compartments. Do you, what do you think that these three represent? Yes? Trinity. But if you ask some of the rabbis, you know, sometimes they may say, probably our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and some others may say that it represents the unity in worship, all the Levites and all the priests 
and the people of Israel. But you and I, today we know that these three represent, they represent certainly unity, the Father God. Can you say that with me? Father God, Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Now, why do you believe that so? It's very interesting now. Now, the matzah, it simply means unleavened bread. If you very closely look at the unleavened bread, a couple of things you notice there. The bread wafer is unleavened. There is no yeast in it. There is no sin in it. And it is also striped. That means it is baked in oven at high temperature. That's where you see the burned stripes. And also, before they put it in the oven, they pierce that. Otherwise, it will become, already it's very thin, it's going to break. So they pierce it. Think about our Lord Jesus. No sin in him. He was striped and he was pierced. Now, during the ceremony, this is very interesting. Listen to this. The father, he takes the wafer from the middle chamber of the tosh. He takes the matzah from the middle chamber and he breaks it and he takes half of it and he goes to the other room and hides it somewhere. Buried somewhere, maybe under a pillow, somewhere. And at the end of, the, and a little later he comes and he asks one of the little boys to go and, boys or girls to go and find where that wafer is. And they will search all around the house and they will go and take the wafer and come back to the father. What does it tell you? Jesus, he was broken at the cross and he broke the bread and he was buried and he rose from the dead. And symbolically, he breaks the bread and he distributes to everybody. And they have the meal together. So you saw the plate, that's how the meal is arranged. But now, nowadays, you know, you have a lot of other things to, you know, have go, they go along with this. Now the third cup. The household takes the third cup of blessing. That's called the cup of blessing or cup of redemption. Can you say that with me? Cup of blessing our cup of redemption. First cup was Kiddush, or sanctification, cup of plagues, and cup of blessing, or cup of redemption. Cup of blessing, they really bless the cup. Cup of redemption, they look back and see how their forefathers were redeemed from the hands of Pharaoh. And they look forward and see the coming Messiah. In the Old Testament time, they look forward to see the coming Messiah. And Jesus with the disciples in the upper room, listen to this. Now the supper is over. Now they took the third cup. Jesus with the disciples in the upper room raised the third cup after the supper. And this is what he said in Luke 2.20. This cup is the new covenant in my blood which I shed for you. What is the new covenant that Jesus was talking about? Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Listen to this, Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming prophetically. Jeremiah is prophesying. This prophecy is mainly concerning the Jews. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the household of Israel and with the household of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, verse 33, but this is the covenant that I will make with the household of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God's promise to bring them back. Jewish ones, they have gone from God, away from God. But God is bringing back. God is bringing back them to the cross. Now disciples in the upper room, they have celebrated Passover, you know, many times, year after year, they have celebrated Passover, but now they are gathered in the upper room, Jesus standing in front of them and breaking the bread. They see the fulfillment happening. They see the fulfillment happening there. Now, we all, you and I are partakers of the redemption. Now, if anyone takes the blood of the lamb, you know, this is the gospel. If anyone takes the blood of the lamb and apply the blood of the lamb in the doorposts of his or her heart, he is saved. He is saved. We need to take the blood of the lamb and by faith, we need to apply the blood of the lamb in the doorposts of our heart. 
and we are saved our household is saved you know how close the observance of the passover symbolically represents what christ has performed and what today we need as we follow our lord god we have been redeemed by the blood the bible says in psalm 107 verse 2 let the redeemed of the lord say so do you remember the psalm let the redeemed of the psalm say we are coming to end of the passover now when they say the household they say that the, let the redeemed of the lord say so they repeat let the redeemed of the lord say so can you repeat that with me let the redeemed of the lord say so now this is the time of thanksgiving this is the time of thanksgiving so we are talking about the fourth cup now cup of sanctification and what was the second one cup of plagues and third one was the cup of blessing and redemption and now the fourth cup is a cup of praise now this is a time to give praise to god this is the time to do the worship so they all stand they all get together around the table praising god they thank god for bringing their forefathers from the slavery they thank god for the messiah they thank god for the work that was accomplished fulfilled at the cross by the messiah they open the Jewish national hymn book and they start singing. And we have those songs, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. They, they are part of the national hymn book of the Jews. They sing this song out loud and they rejoice in the Lord. So fourth cup is the cup of praise. So when the praise song is sung, the fourth cup is lifted up. And this is what they all say together. They say together, Ishana Haba, Yerusalem. That simply means next year in Jerusalem. Next year in Jerusalem. A man who was standing there and doing the observance of the Passover, his heart breaks now when he says this. Everybody's heart breaks this. The reason is they're in Jerusalem, still their own people are waiting for the Messiah. Their heart breaks. So there's a little bit of tradition attached to this. This is again very interesting. I'll close very soon. They think that Messiah has not come. So those Jewish traditional people, when they celebrate, this is how they end the Passover. At the Passover time, not the Messianic Jews, not the Jesus-believing Jews, but those who are still waiting for the Messiah to come. And they, during the Passover time, at the middle of the table, or at the main spot of the table, they put a chair. And they keep a cup there. And they call the cup as a cup of Elijah. Can you say that, cup of Elijah? It's a tradition. And they keep the cup there. <coughs> And now, the little boy in that house, or the girl in that house, the household, the father will ask him to go and open the door. And at that night, they will go and keep the door open for some time. For what? Thinking that Elijah will come as a forerunner to introduce Messiah, so that Messiah will come. Because they are still not believing in Jesus. They do not know, they do not understand one man who was crying in the wilderness by name, John the Baptist, who came already as a forerunner of Lord Jesus Christ and Messiah already came into this world and he is the ultimate Passover lamb who was sacrificed at the cross. They do not believe all this. They still keep the door open thinking that Elijah will come and they will all stand together and sing this song and the song goes this way then they sing the oldest hebrew song elijah the prophet elijah the tishbite elijah the gilead may he soon in our days come to us with the messiah son of david so the man who was observing the passover his heart breaks when he thinks about it when he thinks about it his heart breaks because his own people are still perishing. And today, as we study the great tradition of Passover, right from where it was instituted and what they really do today, this is what I believe we are trying to learn the last slide. 
I guess this is what we are, God is teaching us this morning. Number one, Passover is observed very orderly. We need that discipline today. You know, as I observe that, how discipline is arranged, you know, how organized that Passover supper is. How orderly the children are sitting around and they are just obeying what the father is telling. And how very clearly the message is conveyed, the gospel is conveyed right there. I wish I had the discipline in my home. For some reason, we lost the discipline. We need that discipline. That's what I learned from. Number two, we need to have the fear of God in our lives. We need fear of God. You know, today we are serving a God who is mighty. At times we take God for granted. At times we take God for granted. You know, if we don't walk in the fear of God, our children do not know what is fear of God. You know, especially we see that in the Pentecostal circle, taking things for granted. We need to be careful not to take things for granted. If we are, you know, disciplined, and if we have the fear of God, then only children will get that. And number three, we need to involve children and encourage them to ask questions as parents sit together in the dinner time. You know, most of the time we don't do that. Children, they eat in front of the TV most of the time, and we eat what time? Night at 12.30 or 1.30? And we, know we don't have any connection. Such a good practice that I learned from them. Number four, need to take time to meditate the redemptive, redemptive work. How God brought the children of Israel from slavery. It is worth taking time to meditate and to understand and to study and to teach that to our children. Number five, need to meditate on the ultimate redemption, the sacrifice that was made at the cross. It is good to meditate that. We need to do that at home. We need to do that at the church, everywhere. Number six, we cannot take this sacrifice. Granted, as I said. Number seven, we have to share this good news to the gen our generation. We talked about the Jewish people. They are still waiting for Messiah. What about the Gentiles, those who are perishing without even heard, hearing the name of Jesus? And God has a responsibility to us. Morning Jai was telling about you know, going out and sharing the gospel. Yesterday, Blessing gave, you know, Benson was talking about you know, spending his time with somebody over phone, teaching him about the good things of God, what we need to follow. You know, we need to do that. We need to take time to tell and share the gospel with others. And we also need to pray for those Jews who are still waiting for the Messiah to come. They are going to the eternal hell. They need to know that Jesus is the Messiah. So much of responsibility as we learn. Can we all stand for a moment?